At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Stocks up, yields down, and now all eyes on NVIDIA, which reports earnings in overtime tonight. The investment committee laying out what is really at stake for your money. And joining me for the hour, Steve Weiss, Liz Young. And Joe Terranova, let's check the markets here, show you what we're doing. Mentioned yields falling back. Manufacturing PMI was weak, so yields dropped. Stocks are higher. NASDAQ's leading up 1.5%. Now all the marbles, Joe, are on NVIDIA, which you own, which you bought at the end of April in your rebalance. Mm -hmm. And now the pressure is on because (laughs) this could determine whether this August swoon bleeds into the fall or not. This company has the ability to change the game with one swing, and it's already done that. If you go back to Q2, look at the performance of the S&P from the beginning of the quarter until May 24th, the day that NVIDIA reported. S&P was only up 14 basis points. Subsequent to NVIDIA reporting, NVIDIA rallies 38%. The S&P rallies 8% into the end of the quarter. So this, without question is going to be a potential catalyst for both price and time. It's a catalyst for price because we are in a seasonally weak period and you have the potential here if NVIDIA is able to deliver for price to recover and overcome that seasonal weakness. In terms of time, if NVIDIA is to disappoint, then that seasonally weak period is going to extend even further. So I look at this, we're going to talk a lot about fundamentals, what the options market is pricing. But to me, this is about sentiment. This is about whether or not NVIDIA can change the sentiment in the market. And the reason for that, if there's a, if there's a signature for the 2023 equity rally, it's NVIDIA. Well, there's no doubt about that. The stock's up 200% year to date. So Liz Young, what's riding on this? I, look, Jackson Hole starts tomorrow. Powell speaks in, you know, in a couple of days on Friday. And obviously, given what's happened with interest rates in the last month, that's critically important. I think we all get that. But given what the stock market, particularly the Nasdaq and tech have done in the last month, I mean, you could make the argument that this event this afternoon might matter more for where this market really is going to go. If the leadership group loses its leadership on a more you know, determined time frame, market's got a problem. Yeah, I mean, NVIDIA has been the poster child for this AI run and, and all of this optimism that's occurred. And some of it, perhaps rightfully so, they did increase guidance. And you could argue that there were fundamentals behind that. Mm-hmm. But the implied move is big. It gapped up the last time it reported earnings. Usually things back and fill that gap. I do think that there's a lot riding on it. And I completely agree with Joe that this is a sentiment move. There's sort of this feeling of what if it's contagious, right? What if it goes poorly and then that kind of ripples through the rest of the sector? That could absolutely occur at a time before, right before we get a Jackson Hole speech where most of market participants are expecting it to be hawkish. I actually think 
if it's hawkish, that's probably okay because that's what we're expecting. Mm -hmm. If it's dovish, there's sort of this expectation too that, oh, that would drive a rally. They're not going to go as far as, as we thought. It's not going to be as strong. I think if it's dovish, it sends more of a message that they don't have the tools to solve the problem. Really? Anymore. Although, I mean, I don't know. I could see a dovish, you know, speech from the chair sort of pop in there, taking the air out of where rates have gone, right? And, and that, could. you know, rates have done some of the Fed chair's work for him over well, the last three, four weeks or so. Is, Equity markets cooled a little bit. Yeah, don't you that's think the risk, true. You think the risk is to the downside or upside for rates coming out of Jackson Hole? Down. I think it's down. But so it's not so much that I would expect a dovish comment because of what rates have done. It's more so there's also this underlying murmur of what if they start signaling that they'd be comfortable with something above 2% target. If that's the message and that's received as dovish, I think the interpretation then by markets maybe initially mm -hmm. is positive because it's a dovish message. But then later you start to get to the point where you realize, well, wait a minute, does that mean that their tools aren't fixing it? Does that mean that we have to give up on the target? We have to give up on the goal because we don't have the tools to fix this anymore. So Weiss, what is riding on this afternoon in terms of where this market's going to go over the next two, three months? Uh, over the next two, three months, I don't think a lot at all, uh, frankly, is riding on NVIDIA's reporting. Over the next couple of days, maybe, but what you'd see if, if, if NVIDIA misses, and, and I just want to give a shout out congratulating all the cutting edge analysts who have been trying to trump each other by raising their targets in advance of the earnings when the company's in the quiet period, I guarantee You're just you jealous. they found nothing fundamentally different. You're just uh, mad you don't own so it. So you built the... I, I've yeah, seen this movie before. I'm not mad I don't own it. Um, but you must be particularly angry seen since you don't own any before. stocks at all. <laughs> well, but, I'm not mad. Uh, that, that means look. I feel pretty good. I mean, don't have to worry about it. Yeah, don't have to well, worry that's, about it. That's how we make money. Seriously, we you're telling me that this only Nvidia, you're telling me, uh, hold on, you're telling me this only matters for a couple of days. That's just a Weissian comment. <laughs> you're right. It's a Weissian comment that will turn out to be very accurate and prescient. So it'll matter. If you let me finish what I was going to say, Scott, All right, go uh, ahead. I'll tell you why it's only going to matter. It's going to matter to the tech stocks. It'll matter to NVIDIA. It'll matter to Microsoft. It may matter to Meta. Uh, it probably will. But what you'll see from that is you'll see a movement reasserting itself into so-called value names, into structural names, and perhaps into healthcare. So while the move in tech will be squarely there, it's going to help the others because all the Momo money that's went in there that's going into NVIDIA today is just going to come out of that and suck it out. At that point, when those next few days are over, you'll see an exaggerated move to the downside. That'll be the time to step in and buy, and we'll start this all over again. So that's why I don't think it matters. If anybody can tell you it's going to matter the next two or three months, they don't know what they're talking about, pure and simple. So let's not overmake, you know, okay. overdo anything on Nvidia okay. other so than you don't short think, term. Okay, okay. So you don't think that Nvidia's report last quarter mattered at all in the months that followed? Because I mean, that's just that's just. I'm not, not true. saying that. I'm not saying well, that. You, you have to I'm be saying, saying that. that. How can you not be saying no, that? No, I don't have to be saying. How can you not you, be saying why, that? Why don't I stop talking? Why don't I stop talking? You just tell me what I'm going to say. But how can you be saying that? So you're that's, saying well, that, that's it, not, Scott, that's not what I'm saying. I didn't say that at all. Of course it mattered. What I'm saying is I don't expect a major miss to NVIDIA. 
I don't know what NVIDIA is going to do. I can't predict it. Nobody can, right? Nobody predicted that the revenues would be up 50%. I predict, though, you won't see another reset of their guidance or their quarter where they're going to increase it by 50% relative to expectations. I can say that with little fear that I'll be uh, corrected on that. So that's what drove it, that kind of size. If we would seen NVIDIA come out and say, okay, revenues were 5%, 10% more than we expected, then I don't think you would have seen the move that we've seen. But that, you don't see companies increase revenue by 50% versus guidance. You just don't. I don't think we'll see that again is my point. Well, you don't. You so don't. the move, except the downside move, will be much more muted. Mm -hmm. You don't, speaking so, of 50%, I mean, you don't see... Miss big. They miss it all. You, you don't see many stocks, Christina Parts and Nevelos, add 50% since their last earnings report like this one has done in three months. I mean, that's that's what NVIDIA has done. Um, you're all over this company, and you're going to be covering the earnings in overtime. What matters most? Data center revenues. Uh -huh. Data center revenues because that encompasses AI and all the AI chips that we're talking about. Uh, the estimates are $8 billion for this quarter, $15 billion in the following quarters. I think what Steve was trying to point at, maybe I'm misinterpreting it, is he's talking about the lack of momentum going forward. We can't just keep, or we, NVIDIA can't keep blowing it out of the water each time, 50% above analyst estimates. And part of that, uh, thesis could be supply, the supply chain, the fact that NVIDIA is completely reliant on TSMC to produce these chips. If they can't get the parts, how are they going to sell these chips? Yes, they have every single person under the sun wanting these chips from Saudi Arabia, UAE, United Kingdom, all the hyperscalers, all the smaller players too. They want to buy these chips. And so that means that the utilization rates at Taiwan Semi has to go up. And they can't just, you know, completely jump from where they are here to 50% more within just a few month period. So we have to factor that in for 2024, and that could maybe keep guidance at a certain level for a little bit longer than anticipated, but it still matters because to your point, it did influence so many other S&P 500 stocks because of this AI push. And it'll also matter for other names that are gonna lose out. The software names, because so much money is going into AI, yeah. and that's detrimental to the other infrastructures within the software database I mean, it's, world. It's sort of underscored the entire narrative around the AI buzz and Joe, the demand. Even if NVIDIA is not able to keep up with supply or keep up with the demand by virtue of their supply, I wonder if Wall Street just rewards them based on the demand alone, figuring that, well, I mean, they'll just catch up at some point. But the demand is unbelievable. Well, OK, so first of all, the, the, the chips are basically sold through the end of 2024. We know that. And now it is, uh, to Christina's point, can Taiwan Semi provide enough uh, for them to increase the production, the units from 500,000 estimate in 2023 to a million and a half, two million as you move into 2024. And I think you always look at it and say to yourself, what's the risk surrounding the entire AI thesis? First of all, from a positioning perspective, okay, it's obvious the options market is pricing at a 10% move for NVIDIA one way or the other. Well, guess what? You actually don't have to be in, in NVIDIA to capture the tone of what this trade is going to be post earnings. Because I will tell you that if NVIDIA is going to move 10%, you could just own the QQQ or you could own the spies and you're going to accomplish uh, the particular direction which it's going to move. But the risk, I think, in the coming months is if 
there is some form of disappointment that, guess what? We're not going to see a 50% annual growth in AI server That's right. Do you agree or disagree with Weiss that it doesn't I matter? I disagree because um, I'm beginning to, the risk is to me, the disappointment in which a company, this is the one single company that's validated the entire AI thesis and the belief that the 50% annualized growth is real in the coming years because these AI server chips. This is the company that has basically told you when you think about servers, AI servers right now are 7% of the overall server marketplace. That figure could grow to nearly 30% in the next five years. So if NVIDIA gives us any hint that there's a disappointment or there's a breakdown in that optimistic thesis, the market is going to have a problem because the foundation of the 2024 equity rally has been about generative AI. Weiss, I mean, right? Doesn't it legitimize the hype or throws cold water on some of the froth? I mean, if it misses, it says, you know what, there was just way too much froth in not only this stock, but the whole AI narrative. If they do what they did last time or anywhere close, don't they validate the whole story? Look, there are degrees of disappointment and there are degrees of surprising to the upside. So it's not black and white. So you have to parse through it. Look, data centers are slow. They've been slow for a long time. Christina can tell you that. Are you going to see a reacceleration? Yes. You're not seeing it right now. I can tell you that from the information that I have from talking to many companies on the private side and the public side, the ones that have reported, you're not seeing that really reacceleration yet. You will see it. You need much more computing power for AI, so you need much more storage. And by the way, cloud's only 25% penetrated, so you've still got that tailwind. However, if they come out and say they missed because of data centers, it's not going to blow up, blow up the AI story. If they come out and they say we've overstated the demand for AI, then of course it will. And of course, over the next week, maybe two weeks, the market's really going to get hurt because it's been driven by not the AI story necessarily, but just a multiple expansion, which has been abetted by AI. So I can't say conclusively it's black, it's white. I just think Jensen Wong is way too smart to have come out and said what he said last quarter, not be able to follow it up with something this quarter. I mean, think of the reputational damage to him personally as a CEO if they missed this quarter. Well, want, uh, I'm Chris, talking I about want, his guidance. I know what you mean. I, w- I want Christina to... Uh to comment well, on that. To Steve's point, just uh, two weeks ago, Jensen Wong took the stage at a conference and he was very bullish on AI. They're, they're constantly coming out with new products, collaborations, VMware uh, just even announced yesterday. So that is a bullish sign for the commentary that's going to come out of the call this afternoon. But to your point, before uh, speaking to Steve, you talked about validating this earnings report now. I wonder whether it'll validate the future, because is this a one-time lump sum fee that we are, or cost that we're going to see for all of these companies around the globe? And then after that, what is that reoccurring revenue? Right now, NVIDIA benefits from the AI training part, but there's the AI inference part where other players can step in. Not only AMD, but in-house players like Google, Microsoft, all of these guys are coming up with their own chips to keep the costs in-house, to keep the data in-house. And so that's a threat you know, a year from now. Well, this whole thing is a bet on the future. It's why investors are willing to pay 50 plus times forward earnings for NVIDIA or whatever above market multiple they're willing to pay 
Liz Young on any of these names. Mm -hmm. It's all about the hype for the future mm -hmm. and what this technology is going to mean and then the major players that are going to take the most advantage of it. Right. Well, and, and if you just get it down to the data and if you want to be a valuation trader, think about it from this perspective. This, this is what I think the biggest threat to the AI trade has been this year is that it's basically port portending some sort of huge uprun in all of these stocks over, let's say, a thematic period of what I would call two to five years, right? This is not something that we're going to get justification for or gratification for by the end of this year. You look at a forward P.E. ratio, that is on a forward 12-month basis. These valuations, NVIDIA in particular, is right now trading more than 70% above its 200-day moving average. That is frothy by any definition. We are probably not going to get the satisfaction that by the end of this year, it deserves that kind of valuation. I don't think you're going to get that satisfaction on any of these stocks, which is why it is a sentiment play. If there's some give back in this multiple expansion, I think all of them give a little back. That doesn't mean that it has to be some huge crash. That doesn't mean that it's some big crisis. Right. It's probably healthy, frankly. And then it starts to trade like a real theme, which is years long. I don't think it's the wrong theme. I think it is something that's going to transform the industry. I just don't think it's going to happen by December 31st. Well, four hours from now, we're going to know, or thereabouts. And Christina Partsinevelos, we will see you then, and I uh, can't wait for that. But we'll see you in closing bell, too. Of course, As we ramp up uh, and give the countdown to that. That's Christina Partsinevelos. Of course, you see her all over NVIDIA. I do want to get to the other big story of the day, and that is the retail route. I, I think, I don't know what else you call it. Foot Locker is our chart of the day, why it's getting smoked. Uh, worst day ever. They paused the dividend, softening trends in July. What else can you say for a stock and a chart that looks like that? Down more than 30%. Um, Nike, by the way, is down 10 straight days. So that's a segue into that. Dick Sporting Goods had one of its worst days, if not its worst day ever the other day. We talked to Steve Weiss about it then, who I find out today has added on that weakness to DKS. Mr. Weiss? Yeah, so let's, let's look at these. Nike, a big reason why Nike's down is because of their exposure to China. And then that exposure has been translated into what's happening in Foot Locker. Foot Locker is just a mess. If you walk into one of their stores and say, like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, are, are these people dressed up as refs or, you know, what, what's, what's going on? So Nike has cut back their exposure to Foot Locker. And where have they increased their exposure? They've increased it to Dick's, making Dick's one of their top partners. Now, the issue yesterday came out of the blue. The stock should have been down. I don't know if it should have been down as much as it was. But I think you can start over again. So we've seen these kind of periods with Dick's before. We've seen it with basically a lot of retailers. And I think at this level, given the comparisons we're going to see going forward with margins, keep in mind, the company said yesterday, gross margins will surpass their prior forecast and be higher. And to me, that's critical. <clears throat> so traffic's still good, outdoors a little weak. I think overall the stock is very reasonably priced here and poised for upside because it's a good management team. So I added a little, did not add a lot. Right. Stock opened up very weak on the back of the Foot Locker news. I think I'll do fine with it. So Joe, you own Nike, so you got a dog in this fight. Sure do. Um, I don't even pardon the pun. I mean, it's a, it's a big dog. Dog's got fleas. What's going on with Nike? Down 10 straight days? So, so listen, five weeks. Foot Locker's last quarter was the beginning of the breakdown for Nike. And I talked about it at that time. Uh, Nike was added into the ETF. It was obviously uh, a poor 
position to be taking given where Nike is today. Uh, October 31st is the opportunity to do something about it, trick or treat, we'll figure that out. But there's been a critical breakdown in momentum. There's been a fundamental decline as it relates to China overall. And I think about retail in its entirety, and it is so complicated. And so many people come on the network and they talk about valuation, and valuation in retail means that you take ownership of something. Well, look at Target. Target's right back to a 52-week low once again. Someone tell me Target is cheap, okay? Retail's complicated. I don't think any of us are smart enough to figure out how inventory management's going. Are you Macy's? Are you being promotional to work off inventory? Hey, are you Abercrombie? Look or, at Abercrombie today. Are you, are you Abercrombie or are you Kohl's? Are you Kohl's that was able to actually do the proper inventory management? So to your point, uh, Urban Outfitters, Abercrombie Fitch, they're okay. Off price is okay. Rostar, TJX, which we own, thankfully, in the Joe T ETF to kind of offset what we're seeing in Nike. That's okay. Then you have Ulta Beauty, which is going to be reporting at the end of the week. You've seen a massive breakdown in the momentum there. They need a fundamental rescue, something yeah. to come from the earnings. Retail is just so incredibly You got anything on Peloton, Joe, uh, <laughs> which is a massive loss uh, again, I mean, the stock was five bucks. I think three years ago, my remark to you at the time, Scott, was as it relates to fitness, a mirror and a blood test. I think Peloton's nothing more than a stationary bike and a mirror and a blood test can tell me how my fitness is doing. Never owned it. Don't want to own it. Okay. Is that, is that <laughs> pretty straightforward <laughs> enough for you? I don't have the wherewithal to push back on that. I really don't. Weiss, you, did you ever own Peloton? I did. I, I, I both was long it and I was short it, and both turned out okay for me, unusually so. And I also, uh, our family has three bikes, so, uh, so I still use it. In terms of the company, you know, it was always going to be temporary. It was always going to benefit from what we saw during the pandemic, and then a lot of them were going to turn into clothes hangers. So I think that's the issue. I don't think there's any moat around the business. Um, look, I still enjoy it. Um, but, you know, I, I just don't see it. They're expensive items, and uh, the, the subscription is expensive. So I'm not a fan of the stock here. Okay. Uh, all right, straight ahead, our halftime headliner. J.P. Morgan's Dubrovko Lakos joins us right here post-9. We'll talk the state of the market amidst this dismal August for stocks. And later, after 10 years in the National Football League, our friend Brandon Copeland We'll join halftime to make a special announcement today. Don't want to miss that. He's in the house and we're back in two. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Now is the time to embrace a new wave of workers. Every day, your team grows younger, more digital, and more drawn to entirely new ways of working, which means you need flexible solutions to connect them where business gets done. T-Mobile for Business was born digital. With America's largest 5G network, we can make it easier to work together from virtually anywhere. Your team may be changing, but with the right tech, it can be more productive than ever before. Get started at T-Mobile.com slash now.
Welcome back. We don't see any upside from here into year end. That's the big call from J.P. Morgan this week. Joining us now is today's halftime headliner, Jabrovko Lakos, chief global equity strategist at the aforementioned J.P. Morgan. That wasn't your call, though, right? That was that was Marco Polanovic, right? It's our research call. Okay. Uh, so it's a house call. House view. Um, so the rest of the year is not going to do anything. Well, we think it's capped because uh, you got a multiple that's basically hitting against that 20 turn ceiling. You have a cycle that, in our opinion, is aging and not getting younger. Uh, you have positioning, which definitely was on the low end earlier in the year, but now I think the boat has gotten filled up there and sentiment is definitely much more bullish. You have monetary policy remains restrictive and we're of the view that Fed is not going to be easing anytime soon. We can talk about do they hike more or not. Cost of capital remains prohibitive. Mm-hmm. And fiscal, what people forget, this year has been a massive uh, fiscal easing year. $1.8 trillion in government spending next year, that's going to get tighter. But what about the economy? Because the economy's better than a lot of people thought it would be mm-hmm. at this moment in time. Does that trump everything else or not? So I think a lot of the res- resilience in the economy is coming, A, I think from this very strong fiscal tailwind that we've been facing. And then two, I think from a consumer that's been spending above trend. Uh, but what you're seeing also on the consumer and the household side is increasing bifurcation between upper and lower income. Lower income continues to get squeezed. Uh, and there is increasing utilization of credit cards and leverage now. So I think it's sort of get, pushing us more and more into, into a corner. What, what do you think that the chair is going to say at, at Jackson Hole this week? And how do you think the market ends up reacting? Because last time, remember, mm-hmm. eight minutes was enough to sink the market down to its October lows after Jackson Hole. So I think I'm not even sure it's going to be that big of an event. I think they'll just, you know, uh, emphasize, again, data dependency. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at what the bond market is telling you is that, hey, they could uh, do maybe a little bit more or they could uh, hang around the, the current level for longer. Um, I don't think you're seeing any sort of strong weakness in, in, the, in the recent prints that suggest they're going to be easing anytime soon. So I think they stay put and data dependent. The notes that you just gave our producer before you came up here, a hard landing is inevitable. So. You don't see soft landing, no landing. It's uh, like I think there is no landing, no landing until you get to hard landing. I don't buy into the soft landing thesis. I definitely don't buy into the Goldilocks thesis, like the best of both worlds. Uh, and I think it's just the whole thing is just the timeline is getting pushed out because of some of this resiliency and the fact that we've had this excess savings, uh, excess liquidity on the household side, which, by the way, is getting now depleted at a pretty fast clip. Mm-hmm. And that's been keeping the boat afloat. But what happens if it gets pushed out? to the degree at which then the Fed is actually done, if not cutting, and the economies remain strong enough for long enough that it offsets all that. Sure, but again, that's plausible, but I just have a hard time believing that inflation is gonna come down, Fed is gonna be cutting rates, and growth is gonna be just fine. Inflation coming down, I think it's typically a function of the broader ecosystem and the consumer and so forth slowing. I know, but if I'd asked you a year ago, You would have said, I have a hard time believing that the Fed's going to raise race 500 basis points in a year and that everything's going to remain just fine. And it has, for the most part, right? That's been a surprise. It has been a surprise. And I think, again, a lot of the resiliency, I think, is a function of the massive fiscal boost that we got in 2021 and also this year. 2021, we had more than $4 trillion in government spending. And this year, you're basically looking at $2 trillion. So I think that's what's keeping the boat afloat. But I think it's also a reason why inflation and rates and so forth are also stickier and higher. 
this guy hits a good tennis ball. You got a good volley back at him or, or what? Has I, he hit I, any winners? I, I do, but, but uh, Dubrovka, with all due respect, what you haven't talked about is this contribution from technology, from AI. We have leadership, finally, once again. I understand it's concentrated to the Magnificent Seven. Um, in the environment that you're describing, is it that the Magnificent Seven is going to have a significant breakdown, and the reasoning behind that would be what? No, so I, I don't think, so our view all year long has been centered around cost of capital. Mm -hmm. And I still think that rem remains the number one thesis that, that every sort of portfolio manager should focus on. And that takes us to the fact that you need to continue to overweight high quality, good balance sheet businesses. Mm -hmm. The Magnific Magnificent Seven or Five, whatever you want to call them, definitely check the box of quality. But where you're seeing deterioration in balance sheets is in the private sector, it's in the small cap and the mid cap sector, and some specific parts of large cap. So it's broadening it out. So I think concentration that's happening in the market in some sense actually makes sense because a lot of it's centered around balance sheets and quality. And I think those are going to be the last stocks to stand before eventually, eventually everything eventually But works. they have to fall if you're going to get to the price targets that you're thinking the S&P Yes, and I think they, they ultimately do. The part that I find extremely puzzling is you have long-duration stocks, growth stocks, that continue to re-rate over the last few months. And what are real rates doing? They've gone up 100 basis points in the last three, four months. Well, maybe, so maybe that all that does is just throw some cold water on the whole narrative that long-duration assets are so tightly tied to where rates go. Maybe it's just not that simple. Maybe the AI story is as powerful as people want to suggest it is. So our team, and again, I'm going to bring my colleague Marco out here. I mean, we, we've published a number of extensive primers on AI, ML, oh, believe 10 years me, ago. We, and we've read all of them. I think the AI thesis is powerful. It's a secular thesis, but I, this is more like, you know, you're going from version 3.0 to 3.5, and it's not like something a new breakthrough, if you, if you will. So I personally think in terms of what's priced in is a lot. It's a bit overhyped. Uh, even, with, even with NVIDIA's guidance, right? But well, that suggests you could be going from 3.0 to 4.0. Uh, Forget to stop halfway through. I'm not going to comment on individual names. NVIDIA, I, I would just say, is a very idiosyncratic situation. Well, I use it as you an example. You got China, you got Saudi, whatnot. Uh, but yeah, and there's a few stocks that will benefit, the infrastructure plays. But in terms of AI driving massive productivity gains for the broader economy, yes. But like three years from now, four years from now, not in the next 12 months. We have so many other macro headwinds to worry about. Geopolitics, uh, cost of capital, balance sheets deteriorating, households, uh, balance sheets. So, uh, yes, it's a powerful theme, but I think that people sort of hold on to it a little bit too much. What What do you need to see to which you would say, you know what, I'm I'm wrong. I, I miscalculated. So something. very what simple. Very simple. Uh, uh, preemptive Fed easing. Fed starts to ease rates. Let go of call it this supposedly two percent inflation target. Forget about what's going to happen to inflation break-evens, but let's say they start to ease, it's definitely going to prolong the cycle. And if magically the government comes back and says, you know what, next year we're not doing one and a half trillion government spending, we're actually going to do three trillion, of course, party goes. But more inflation, higher rates. But ultimately the inevitable happens, which is balance sheets are getting smoked. But like there, the are two, there are two inevitables. It's, if you're right and the economy gets to be uh, as bad as you think it might get, the Fed cuts and they may cut a lot. Fair, but I think in the, in the meantime, you know, multiples of 25, 30 go down to multiple of 15 or 12 or 18, and then eventually you get a re-rate. Even so, in the mega cap names, you think the multiples of those, those look, stocks, for I, example, at 30, most of them are, you know, at, not most, but there are a lot of them that are 30-ish. You think they're going to go down to 12 or 15? Uh, well, you look at Apple. Apple was like the bulletproof stock that magically in 2018 dropped 30%. So again, it holds, holds, holds until all of a sudden it doesn't hold, and then there's a puke. So... 12 is a rough number on a multiple. 
Liz Young? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm with you 100% on the economic story and that the cycle is getting older, not younger. Where I kind of fall apart with it is the idea that if, if the Fed changes the target, right, if they preemptively cut, I think it's still all going to be interpreted as, okay, we're st we still have to save the day forever and for always, and the government has to save the day forever and for always, which really just bleeds back into inflation is here to stay, rates are going to stay high because the cost of capital is going to stay high. The Fed is going to get what they want eventually by constricting capital available in the economy, ruining demand. And we still get to the same place, which is down mm -hmm. and in a recession. Mm -hmm. It just maybe takes another six months to a year. So I don't think it's I don't think it turns bullish at all, really. Yeah. So first of all, you mentioned a lot of ifs. Right. Uh, yeah, secondly, um, I don't think that rates need to go higher. I think just, just, just if rates stay where they are, and that's our house view that they stay where they are, that continues to deteriorate balance sheets. I think the worst nightmare for us is the easiest way out of this would be let's get a quick recession, get rates down, all these balance sheets get sort of rebalanced, refied, and so forth, and then we move on. The problem gets pushed out five years. But if we sort of stay in this prohibitive cost of capital environment for longer, issues just magnify, like the whole commercial real estate that everybody talked about beginning of this year, regional bank crisis. What's the duration mismatch now? Is it smaller or bigger than beginning of the year? It's bigger. Mm -hmm. Is the commercial real estate, all the debt getting rolled? That's not a 2023 problem, that's a 2024. Right. So the question is, when does the market start to think about these things? And right now, it's FOMO, buy the dip, buy but the, the dip. But the market is thinking about it because you can see the performance of financials and banks. So it's, that's where the commercial yeah. real estate story is reflected. And that's why they're not going anywhere. But the risk is that this starts to spill over again. Right. So now everybody's holding strong when it comes to like, I don't know, NVIDIA or these Magnificent 7, the AI stocks. But again, then it starts to spill over. VIX collapse, positioning is re-rated. You could have a puke. That's what we're saying. So I think the upside case here, I mean, I can't time stuff in the, in, in the near term, but I, I just don't think it's that compelling at all. If anything, I'd be pressing the short side more aggressively and especially for low quality plays. You think about small caps, Russell 2000. To me, it's a massive short. Where are you on energy? Energy, we're neutral. Energy, we're neutral. We like the supply side of the equation, the demand side we're, we're questioning. We didn't talk about China. Mm -hmm. What's happening in China? It's the second biggest economy. Yeah. What's happening in Germany? Why doesn't the market care more <laughs> about China, do you think? I don't know. We decoupled. No, I'm joking. We, you can't decouple from uh, China. You can't divorce. I'm serious, China. though. I yeah. mean, there was a point in time not all that long ago if China delivered the kind of news they're delivering now, the market would have a pretty big problem. Yeah brushed it off for the for the for the most part little fits here and there but not to the degree where it's like oh wow the world's second largest economy's got a legitimate issue here well here's a small risk something that could come about in the next few weeks what if one of the big multinationals from US or maybe from Europe Germany like a car maker all of a sudden starts to talk about we're starting to see weaker activity on the China side and then the street starts to extrapolate that so but, did you believe the premise? We got to go Scott, after this. But so China deflation ultimately gets exported to the United States. To Scott's point, then the Federal Reserve has to start cutting rates. Do you believe that? Yeah, but I think growth in the meantime also starts coming down. Pricing power of U.S. corporate starts to come down. Margins get squeezed. Gotcha. I, I don't think you get best of both worlds. I think it's just a dream. Yeah. We'll make that the last <laughs> word. It's just a dream. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see Thanks you. Thanks for being here. That's Lekos, J.P. Morgan. Uh, good discussion. Coming up. Steve Weiss making a move in the healthcare space. We'll document that trade next. Now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry. And T-Mobile for Business has the advanced 5G solutions to make that happen. 
We're helping rethink patient-doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at tmobile.com slash now. I'm Pippa Stevens. Here's our CNBC News update. Rudy Giuliani landed in Atlanta to surrender to charges that he conspired to illegally interfere in Georgia's 2020 presidential election. The former personal lawyer for Donald Trump will negotiate with the Fulton County District Attorney's Office over the amount and terms of his bond. Giuliani and Trump both face 13 criminal counts in the election conspiracy indictment. The trial is underway for the final three men involved in the foiled plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. The men accused of terrorism and firearms crimes and face up to 20 years in prison. Over a dozen men faced federal and state charges in the kidnapping plot. Most were either convicted or pleaded guilty. And a new bank rate survey finds 89% of people want a four-day week or a remote or hybrid schedule. And more than half say they're willing to change jobs or industries to get their preferred situation. Halftime Report is back after this. All right, let's get to some other committee moves now. All right, Steve Weiss, you really liked, I think you called it, what, profitable health care is how you described the stocks within that sector that you liked. Now you've sold Humana. Why? Well, I bought Humana as a trade and uh, unfortunately had to be a much more active trade than I had uh, than I thought when I went into it. Uh, but was able to get out of it unscathed because of the setup in front of earnings, which are similar to the setup with UNH. So, uh, so I don't need to own both. A UNH, I think, is a slightly better company. Uh, it's growing slightly faster. Plus, I've got a concern. So on one hand, uh, the weight loss pills that we're seeing, Ozempic, et cetera, is going to help these companies tremendously because obesity, which is 41% of the company, leads to a lot of health ailments. So that's going to be good for results for their MLR. On the other hand, if they are forced to cover the price of these drugs, it's very expensive. It could increase the costs and lower their profitability. So for those reasons, I decided to stick with UNH because they've got more levers to pull. It's a broader business, growing fast, and I think it's the, the highest quality name in the space. I didn't need to own two of them. So that's why I've done it. Okay. Uh, Liz Young, healthcare. Yeah, you know, right I, I used it as one of my final trades in the last month or so, not necessarily for any specific stock reasons, more so because if you think about just the behavior of healthcare this year, I do think that there is a shift going on in sector leadership. Healthcare has trailed. It sort of falls into that defensive camp, especially in the large cap space. If the market hits the skids and fall, I think things like healthcare and utilities finally catch a bid. So this is a good place to build some exposure. Okay, thank you for that. Thanks for the trade, Weiss. Up next. Brandon Copeland is here at the New York Stock Exchange. He joins us live at Post 9 with a very special announcement. Halftime's back in two minutes. We are back. It is one of life's toughest decisions, knowing when it's time to retire from work, no matter the profession. Our next guest is confronting that reality this week. Brandon Copeland spent 10 years in the National Football League, 85 career games for five teams, as respected for his performance on the field as his leadership in the locker room. 
He's here today to announce what comes next, and we're honored to have him here at Post Night. It's good to finally meet you in person, too. You've been on the show a bunch of times. But this is it? Yeah. Do I look slimmer in person? or? <laughs> <laughs> it's great to meet you in person. Why now? Why is, it, why is it the end of the road? Yeah, I think all good things must come to an end. And, and ultimately, after playing 10 years, I've had a number of surgeries. And uh, I see my little ones running around. And when you start limping after them, you're like, OK, let me, uh, <laughs> let me slow down here, right? And so I've been blessed to have amazing support system, Village, and folks like yourselves who've always welcomed me in. So now it's time for the, the next chapter. It's hard to, to walk away in some respects. I mean, to, to leave the locker room, as we said, where you're such a well-respected member of every team that you've, you've been on, the salary that you get paid as, yeah. a, as an NFL player as well. How difficult is that? It's tough. It's tough. I mean, it's something I've done for 23 years. And you know, every summer, I'm looking forward to training camp and running. I get paid to be in shape and make a weight limit every every uh, week. And so, you know, it's definitely tough. You're going to miss the fans. You're going to miss coming out of stadiums, getting booed, getting cheered for. You're also going to miss the locker room and stuff. But uh, again, I want to walk away before, uh, you know, they start talking bad about me on TV, say, we need to get this guy out of here. Yeah, you know? And why you can still walk away, uh, right? I mean, it's a, it's obviously a, a tough job. Is it true that it, you got a call as recently as the last <laughs> week or so from yeah, a, from a, a team that wanted you to still play? Yeah, a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, I said, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And then I hung up the phone, and then five minutes later, I said, ah, you know, call me in maybe in November. You never <laughs> know. You never know. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a... Uh, Never thought in my wildest dreams, undrafted free agent out of the University of Pennsylvania, uh, that I would be saying no to an NFL team calling to ask me play. And so, again, it's just been a blessing. Yeah. So obviously you, you use the football skills that you learned in college to do you right on the on the field for 10 years, as we said. But you use the education to try and educate others, Yeah. too. It's always been a big part of who you are. We've talked about that every time you've been with us. You announced your retirement this week, but today you announced what's next. Yeah. And that's athletes.org. Yeah. You yeah. want to explain to us exactly what that is? 100%. So athletes.org, I'm the CEO, executive director of the athletes organization. And ultimately now what we're doing is uh, we're going after uh, giving athletes, in particular college athletes, on-demand support. So we're giving them on-demand support in the form of knowledge, access, and protection. They're able to meet with experts for free, legal experts to help them negotiate contracts and things of that nature. They're able to run background checks on people uh, for free. Um, and so they're also able to get their questions answered via our Q&AI, which we have experts who have downloaded their brains. And, and right now in the collegiate athletics landscape, um, things are happening really, really fast. Mm -hmm. And there's conferences being realigned and there's a lot of money flying around. And uh, we want to be able to also provide the athletes voice into some of these situations and so for the first time ever uh, athletes will have a community they'll have chapters they'll be able to vote and give feedback on different issues and so we'll finally be able to hear hey what do you think about being an employee what do you think about flying across the country to California in the middle of the season or the middle of the week as a softball player at Rutgers. And so we're excited. Uh, we're arming them with a lot of guidance and, and really also a lot of mentorship in the form of pro athletes as well, too. It couldn't, as you said, come at a better time. I mean, the amount of money that is flowing around collegiate yeah. athletics now <laughs> with name, image, likeness, NIL, yeah. um, some of these kids are making you know millions of dollars right. as college kids. Yeah, you're going pro earlier. Pretty much. And, you know, we did a great conversation. We were at Slam Summer Classic at Rucker Park, top 20 high school men's and women's basketball players. And uh, we had a conversation with Tahir Whitehead, 
who's 10-year NFL veteran. His younger brother, Derek Whitehead, just drafted to the Brooklyn Nets, and he's like, I just turned 19. And uh, while I'm also trying to be a great player for the Nets this year, I also am starting to learn about my money. I'm learning about my nutrition. I'm learning about all these things. And I think that the, the best way I can sum up what we've built with athletes.org, it's a platform, it's an app. But when you go to vacation and you go to an Airbnb, you're probably going to choose the Airbnb that has 4.9 stars and a bunch of reviews. You feel more safe about mm-hmm. going to that place. Well, how do we do that for the people that want to do business with athletes? How do you now understand that that financial advisor, that accountant, that agent, they've always worked with your best interest in mind because us as athletes, we get one chance to get this thing right. And how do we increase the probabilities of that? Because that changes generational wealth, that changes communities, and ultimately that changes that athlete's life. How would you sum up the mark that you've left on the game? Not so much on the field. Because that's judged by stats, yeah. for the most part, tackles, interceptions, and, and, and the like. But even more so around financial literacy. The people that yeah. you've helped educate, so to speak, as Professor Cope, as you <laughs> call yourself. Yeah. Um, that legacy and what that means to you. Yeah, I mean, it means the world to me, honestly. I, I knew... Uh, I went to the University of Memphis a couple weeks ago and spoke to the athletes and a lot of them said, hey, like, I asked them, what do you want to be remembered for? And they're like, best basketball player, do this, this, this. And I said, hey, you know, who, who was the point guard here in 2006? No one could tell me. Who, who was the center here in 2013? No one could tell me. Yeah, it's pretty hard to be remembered for your sport and for athletics, right? And so ultimately what I always wanted to be remembered for was what I did for people off the field, that ripple effect for people that I've never met, never came across. And I think that I can honestly say I've done that not only for my peers in the locker room for athletes, but in every single city that we've been in, six different teams, we've done holiday shopping sprees for people. We've just gone to grocery stores and fed people when they needed it most. And, and so ultimately for me as an athlete, I am, I've I've maximized my platform, and and hopefully it's uh, just beginning. Well, we are proud of you. We congratulate you. You You have a seat at our table anytime you want it. Thank you so much. And you're a member, by the way, of CNBC's Financial Wellness Council, too. Uh, (laughs) And we hope you'll continue doing that. Brandon Copeland, everybody, we appreciate you being here. Final trades are next. Well, 3 o'clock Eastern, we're going to count you down to NVIDIA, those big earnings in overtime. Adam Parker will be with me. Bryn Talkington, too. She owns the stock, so we'll get her view. Final trades. Oscar the Grouch, you're first. I mean, Steve Weiss, <laughs> you're first. <laughs> nice to have a strategist that didn't stop the dispensary on the way to the set. I'm going with Freeport. Uh, copper's turning. I like it here. I think it rebounds. All right, good stuff. Joey. Fleet Corps, FLT, tough to find a financial with 21% revenue growth over two years. Liz. Lots of currency volatility out there. I don't think it's ending, and what's good for that is gold. All right, see you on the bell. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its 
completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.